Bloody Elbow presents the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. Coming to you guys all just from the close of UFC 289, going down at the Rogers Arena in Vancouver, Canada, and a uh, uh, pay-per-view, like, <laughs> you know... I got a I, I got a little hate online for t- t- tweeting out that we were th- that we'd finished up the the, the the main event after Oliveira versus Darius, and now it was time for the post limbs. But uh, then Irene Aldana went out there and looked as unready as I've seen anybody look for a title fight in since Megan Anderson fought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fought Amanda Nunes. Yeah. Honestly, and even then, like, at least Amanda Nunes just kind of ran over Megan Anderson. I'm, you know, that was, that was what? That was as a mercy killing. Yeah, that was two triangle. minutes. Two yeah. minutes. Irene Aldano is tough enough that she just had to look really unready for the whole 25 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was a makeshift fight, right? She wasn't supposed to be in there, so she kind of got bumped up before she was ready. Didn't really have anyone on her resume that was in the top five or never never faced this level of competition and so she, she had of, former title challenger betch cohea on that uh, resume <laughs> yeah my bad how could i uh forget the elite uh move betch get out the way um she uh but yeah she was just not ready for this and it's amanda freaking nunez so yeah. the the way aldana's been winning like up kicks to the liver like that shit ain't gonna fly with nunez no everybody like we all knew that yeah um, it it was one of those things where like i mean there was a point unfortunately middle of the card somebody our somebody in our chat is asking e- evil hamzat chimaev let me see i can I show what happened okay there we go yeah I, I got it popped up on screen exactly what happens to women's featherweight now it dies that's what happens to women's featherweight now bam Malecki just tweeted out the other day that the UFC was trying to get her to stay at bantamweight and uh, they ended up cutting her out and just cutting her loose because Malecki said, oh, I want to only fight at featherweight. And the UFC's like, yeah, we're not really doing the whole featherweight thing. So the more specific answer is it happens in the PFL. That's what, where 145 will happen. Yeah, yeah. But women's featherweight, yeah. It, it in the UFC, it's it's gone. This has got to be the death now. 
Dana White is look, has been looking for a chance to pull the trigger on that division for years, and this is the chance. But honestly, this is the perfect time to do a tournament. I know the UFC just doesn't do that, but man, yeah. if there was ever a time to do a tournament, a women's bantamweight tournament, this is the time to do it. It, it is. That was the other thing I was saying too. Come, coming out of this is just that, like. The UFC, uh, Nunez retiring right now. Like, I know she had that whole thing about joking, like, I don't want to leave the title to Juliana Pena because I could beat her any day I want. And, you know, some some fantastic petty disrespect in there that I can I can respect. Uh, But the truth is, she left. She's leaving that division in complete shambles. You know, like looking at the. The rankings here. Let me let me pull that up. I, I should have had it up already, but I didn't. Uh, looking at the women's bantamweight rankings, and you got Juliana Pena, Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, Ketlin Vieira, Irene Aldana, Yana Kanitska, Yana Santos, Ni Kanitskaya is your sixth ranked bantamweight, and. Literally everyone on that list has lost to Amanda Nunes already, except for Ketlin Vieira, who couldn't get the chance to fight, fight her because she couldn't beat Yana Kanitskaya and Raquel Pennington. Dude, tournament. It has yeah. to be a tournament. That would be so much fun. There's no way to generate more interest than you would in a tournament. And I don't care how they do it. It could be the, the stupid you know, like two five-minute round thing. It could be spread out, real lame, and, and however. But just that's the only answer for women's bantamweight. But, you know, you say that, and what they're going to do instead is they're going to feed us another women's bantamweight season of tough, where all the women who go through it, one of them will get a title shot against Juliana Pena out of it, and then all the rest of them will just cut straight to women's flyweight like they do every single time the UFC tries to do a women's bantamweight <laughs> season at top. Man. That's uh, so lame. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, they just, they spent all this time after Rousey left, they basically tried to slow trickle build this division and add like one new face in every couple of years. And the result is you basically just have the same people that were around when Ronda Rousey was there. Mm-hmm. And it it sucks, you know? It's It was the exact... They took no pains at all to really build women's bantamweight, and the result is this title fight and a division left behind where, I mean, Juliana Pena probably is going to get the title next in a title shot with Raquel Pennington, I would have to assume. And then, you know, six months from now, Amanda Nunes will be like, actually, I'm going to come back because I know I can beat Amanda, or I know I can beat Juliana Pena any day of the week. And she'll come back and she'll beat Juliana Pena and then she'll retire again. I hope she stays retired, though. Yeah. Honestly, I I could have definitely done without this main event. Like the co main was my main event, the people's main event, right? Yeah. so I was really kind of bummed on on this fight. It was dominant, but only one fighter showed up. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that's... when she but when she retired, I was like, "Yeah, okay, you're going out on top. That's like my ultimate goal. That's what I love to see because, you know, we always watch our heroes get shit kicked. 
that's that's how this sport is. Everyone, unless you're George St. Pierre, you're not going out on top with the belt. You're just yep. not. So this is this is a and if you're a goat, like this is what I want. Yeah. You know, you leave with with your reputation intact, your your legacy intact, and it's on her terms. I, yeah. I'm, no, I, you I can't blame respect that. And I, I want to see more. You can't blame Nunez a bit for this. You know, like I say, it's on the UFC to have built a division around her that would survive her leaving it. And they haven't done that. That's not Amanda Nunez's fault. She absolutely should be packing it up right now and being like, look, I got my two belts. I got, I got, you know, 15, however many years she's been in this game. God, when did she, she started 2008. So yeah, 15 years in the fight game as a pro, like done all the time, made all the money, won all the titles, time to leave. And more power to her. I hope that she has a really good retirement. I hope life treats her as well, if not better, going forward. And, yeah, UFC just... If you're going to have this division, sign every single woman with a slightly okay record that competes there and figure it out. Yeah, we got... uh, Commenter asking, is Amanda Nunes retired? Yeah, she took her gloves off, all that, put the belts down, riding off into the sunset. All right. And yeah, on the other hand, DC at one point was talking about, like, man, you know, we were watching tape and you could see on paper, like, Irene Aldana could contend in this fight. She could be, and it's just like, no, if you were watching tape, this should have been your big fear that Irene Aldana can't stuff a takedown and she only likes to fight off the back foot. So if all Amanda Nunes does and <laughs> if all Amanda Nunes does is fight off the back foot, or if all Arena Aldana does is fight off the back foot, all Amanda Nunes has to do is sit out there and fight from range and just pot shot. And if Aldana's not coming to her, then Aldana's not gonna get anything done. And Unfortunately, the other thing you could see on tape and in the octagon is that Aldana's footwork on the front foot was not good enough to chase Nunez down. So every time she did come forward, all Nunez had to do was just bait that little single leg. And Aldana just about jumped out of her skin every time she tried that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was definitely afraid. And here's here's what's crazy. In the very first round, Aldana landed that like beautiful counter, right? Like beautiful counter that staggers Amanda. Most like maybe even the biggest punch of the fight, like period, that was even thrown. And like typically when someone lands a big punch like that early on, they they kind of focus on that and and almost not become one dimensional, Mm -hmm. but they look for it. They go to that well, you know, a little too often. But like the opposite happened with Aldana. She was like, oh shit, I poked the I poked the bear. And never again was she was she willing to just bite down and go to war and trust in, in her technique. Yeah. She just so gun shy, unprepared, and super respectful to a fault. You yep. know, she was fighting the mystique of yeah. Nunez, not just Nunez. Really did not look like she'd prepared anything specifically for her opponent at all. Like her game as it as it always was was going to lead her into this terrible fight. And she did nothing to change it up at all. all right, we got Ooh. one more. 
quick question. Somebody, you think Shevchenko might go for those belts after she gets hers back? And assuming she gets hers back, I mean, you know, uh, Grasso's win was totally legit. Could happen again. She's no spring chicken. But yeah, it would be foolish for Shevchenko not to go up and go after Juliana Payne. If, assuming Juliana Payne does win the belt next time up, she might not. She might not be able to beat Raquel Pennington. I don't know. Um, but, or Holly Holm, that would be the other obvious option to make. Well, Shevchenko could cut the line. Yeah, she, she could. It's true. They could just make, uh, they, they could just make Holm, Holm versus Shevchenko two or Holm versus Pena two and Holm and Pena and, uh, or Shevchenko versus Pena two and Shevchenko's beat both those women already. So it would be pretty foolish for her not to just run right back up and claim that second bell the first chance she gets. I mean, hell, even if she loses to, uh, even if she lost to Grasso again, just go be the bantamweight queen, you know? Mm-hmm. There's nobody up there that you can't beat. So, all right. Now let's talk about the co-main, which was fucking awesome. <laughs> and Charles Oliveira... I was worried going into this. I don't know. Did, did you pick Oliveira? Mm-mm. I picked no. Benil. I was worried. I thought Benil Dariush can hang on top of Oliveira. If he gets on top of him, he can hang there. He's not going to be afraid. He can pressure. He can scramble with Oliveira. And if he does that long enough, he can wear Oliveira out. And we saw it. We saw that for a couple of minutes. Benil Dariush got right on top of Oliveira, was dinging him up with little short shots. Oliveira did not look, he wasn't getting anything done. There was no danger for Dariush on top there until Oliveira got sick of being on the bottom. And then he's like, okay, well, I'm getting up. And then it's like, okay, wait a minute. There's a huge problem on the feet here for Benil Dariush. He being a step slower than Justin Gagey is actually a huge problem for somebody fighting Charles Oliveira. And Oliveira made it made it really obvious that Darish, that speed issue was gonna be absolutely devastating. Man, it was crazy. It, yeah. it was like it like his like Darius's controller ran out of batteries or something like yeah his blocker quit working and he was just getting <laughs> tagged over just face blocking over he, and he over. got that he got that n64 controller where the middle stick was like <laughs> you know how that always wore out first that middle deep ad and his was just like stuck he if you actually watched really carefully he was stuck in a texture against the cage and so he was just kind of you know right. there's nothing he could do no there's nothing he could do he gets he should get like you know he, he should ask for a do-over play that one back but uh that's nuts though man yeah charles just stepped on the gas yeah he, he just hit the accelerator let his hands go i i never would have i i expected if it was going to be like that that Darius was going to bite down return fire and have the durability to outlast that kind of firefight yeah, no. I thought Holy I shit. in my mind I picked I picked Darius. In my mind, I was just like Charles Oliveira is gonna chew him up in the pocket. I know this, I can see it. I'm gonna pick Oliveira to break him on the ground and 
I'm going to pick Darius to break him on the ground. That's why I'm picking Darius because he'll get on top. He'll create, he'll win scrambles. And if he does that long enough, Charles will break down. And no, it, it, I, the, the vision of Charles in the pocket, I should have trusted that. That was, that was where it all was. And yeah, it's just, you know, I, I was watching, I was watching tape from Darius out there and I was watching him against uh, Diego Fajera and against Dracar uh, Close. Dracar Close. And I was like, you know, he's just a little bit slower. He's got the will and the ability and the aggression to bite down against these guys who can't take the pressure he's putting on. But if I look at Justin Gagey and I look at Dustin Poirier and I look at Islam Makachev and I look at the people who have stood in the pocket with Oliveira and cracked him, he Dariush is just a little slower. And if he's just a little slower, that's a huge problem because yeah. Oliveira is a beast in there. Man, yeah, <laughs> everything he threw hurt Darius. Yep. That was insane, man. It really was. So, I mean, I know we just saw it, and I know he lost, but that fight did get me hyped for Charles Oliveira in Abu Dhabi against Islam Makachev, too. You know? I'm here for it. Yeah, run it back. I'll see it again. Especially there's, too- a, there's a lot of red tape, though. Yeah? Yeah, because... I hate to even say it, but say it. Conor McGregor is still will still get placed in the in any title fight at any given point. Give so me I could, that. Give me that bitter, terrible drink. The Conor McGregor, I, he is out there just in the ether, <clears throat> sleeping mascots. He even will, as we he speak. will surpass anyone. I know. Straight to a title shot. I know, but because Makachev versus McGregor in Abu Dhabi is a way bigger fight. Yeah, I just don't think that there's any way right now with McGregor. I don't even know if he's still he's in the pool yet. He's got till the 16th. If he wants to make December, and they want him to fight in Vegas at the end of the year. Which is what I which is what I think is they're going to do if they're actually going to stick to this whole USADA six months thing. I know that they can bypass that any day they want, but for now, USADA and Dana White and McGregor are all pretending like they're going to business as usual as this this whole thing. So, if they want to get him on a card by the end of the year on the last pay per view of the year, then I think he's got to be in USADA on the sixteenth of june no later and i still haven't heard anything about him officially being in the program yet uh but yeah i mean if he if they think that they can make that fight in abu dhabi instead then yeah you always got to know that that's out there as you know the the bigger thing that they could do i just think that and then They're probably you also have Poirier and Gaethje too happening. So the winner of that, yeah, I still I think wins. I I think the turnaround from that because that's like September, 
Is that uh, that's um, UFC 291. Let's do UFC. I, I, I got to keep this all straight. Uh, okay, you're right. End that's July. July. End of July. So that would be two and a half months turnaround, which it could happen. It would be really tight turnaround for a title fight. All especially, of their, after, especially after like that kind of fight. Yeah. <laughs> Oliveira but, should be centered. He should be the guy. He put on the performance to be the guy. He's been the. It would be a big fight. Like people, if people showed up, I mean, our traffic for Bloody Elbow, the spike for when Charles Oliveira was fighting was big. Like that was the big spike of the night. And. People you could see in the arena, like they're showing up, they're cheering for this dude. He he's got love. Is it is it Conor McGregor love? No. But it's at least like Dustin Poirier, Justin Gagey levels of love out there, I think. Oh yeah. So I mean, Dobronx is he's the man. Yeah. Everybody loves him. So, like I don't even I don't think I've ever heard anyone like talk shit about him, like genuinely does. No, like what? I was like, oh fuck him. Yeah, who who could hate? They hate this beautiful Brazilian man. He is a man of the people. He is. He is absolutely a man of the people. He put on an absolute thriller. I don't think that the UFC, I don't think that Connor is going to do anything that gets him into that fight. Oh, we got a question. Yeah. What does Oliver do if he loses to Islam again, though? He goes and he fights Justin Gagey or Dustin Poirier again, or, you know, fights Max Holloway or something. There are fights out there for him. Dude is, he is a, he is, shoot a box to the core. He is a born warrior who wants to go out there and have fight, fights. <laughs> Weight classes in mascot martial arts here. Okay. I, we got what? We got, you got to have cotton weight. And, cotton weight, feather yeah, weight. Polyester uh, weight. Bean bag weight, bean bag, yeah, bean bag weight, and then Barney weight. I think Barney has got to be like your mascot king, right? Well, what about like Grimace? Oh, right? yeah, or 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 gritty, gritty weight, gritty is okay. Isn't yeah. that a dance? Isn't that something you hit? You hit the gritty. Well, it, it's a hockey mascot. I don't know. Okay. Do, do, I I don't know the dancing. I know the I know the I know the sports. This is a sports podcast. Oh, is it? I don't really, you know, ball sports. I could leave. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Let's jump down and talk about this welterweight fight. Fight Mike Malott, Adam Fugit. And um, this was, I mean, it was a great showcase for Canada. Canadian fans got Canadian wins in front of, in Canadian places, you know. (laughs) They did Canadian things. They had very Canadian things to say after they won. I think Mike Malak came out and he called down the Maple Leaf Militia. And I am worried because I am up here on the border. I am not ready to be on the front lines, Canadian bacon style, for this coming this coming Cold War. Oh, and shout out to Paul Felder, right? After the, you yeah. know, a couple of the guys from Canada win, he's like, man, Canada's on fire. I'm just like, gee, like, thank you, Paul Felder. But it is though; it's literally it is, yeah, no, it is literally on fire. The whole East Coast is getting smoked out. 
But uh, yeah, this was just like, this was the fight it was booked to be for Mike Malott. I've been saying about Adam Fugit for a while that he has the worst reactions to getting hit of pretty much anyone I've seen in the UFC. And he got hit with like one body kick at the start of the round and looked like he was about to throw up. And every like every time he gets hit, he just is like, oh, he it's a Patrick Cummins thing. Like when you watch Patrick Cummins fight, nobody got hit as hard as Patrick Cummins got hit <laughs> in fights. Or like who's that Sassafras guy? Uh, Safferbank, Safferbank, oh, Safferbank, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that motherfucker, dude. Everything <laughs> like he would kick someone and hurt himself. <laughs> like, yeah, he was like, he was that guy, but like, like reach down and be like, ow, like in the UFC, that's unheard of. Yeah, that was so for, for a power puncher like Mike Malott, he's just gonna sit in the pocket and wing some hooks at people. It took him a little while to find that. You could see every time Fujit would step in, he was looking for like a a tricky little lunging counter, and it took him a round to get the timing on that. But once he did, it just absolutely wrecked Fujit. So, and good was, for, yeah, it oh. was a club and sub number yeah. one. Uh, number two, I, I should have known this was going to be cool because as Malat is walking out, the fucking banister collapses behind yeah. him and like fans go spilling it's like what in the world like team chaos yeah yeah it was a good night from a lot he had a fun he did he cut the promos he had the fun interview after i'm sure he got himself a, bo- a big bonus out of this and uh yeah you know fine not a pay-per-view fight just kind of a one-sided showcase for a fighter on the rise but yeah it's it's what it is yeah there was only three pay-per-view fights on here that's yeah all right we'll get to the other one of them right now then danny gay nate landwehr and um you know this fight uh i i had hoped or thought that danny gay might put landwehr away early he's got the power He's got the hands. Landwehr has that face-first defense that he loves so much. It's the reason he's, he's built like an Easter Island statue at this point. Um, <laughs> I mean, he is right. Like, <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyways, but he. Uh, no, this was a different Nate the Train, though. He was yeah. so reserved to a fault and he didn't dance yeah. with the one that brought him like no. you're not gonna go out there and out technique dan ige like you need to go no. make it fucking ugly you this it needed to be a dog fight and yep. nate didn't bring the dog no it's he, a, you know bit, if he, a little bit in the third yeah well that was just like the proof of concept here it's like oh yeah you go after dan ige you make him wear out a little, and then Danny is coming out there in the end of the fight, and he's like, yeah, kind of gassed, not really that happy with the performance, but is what it is kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, Landwehr, you needed to step on that from go. Like, you know, it's the same thing with Aldana Nunes. Like, you got these people like Ige and Nunes, they're front runners. They're out there. You give them a chance to get out ahead of you, they will stay ahead of you like crazy. You make them fall behind and have to catch up, they get tired, you know? 
Yeah, but Ige man coming up with knockdowns at the end of the first and the second. Yeah, that was so sweet. He tried everything he could to get the finish, but Nate was just being so fundamentally sound. I can't even believe I just said that. But you know, credit to him for growing as a fighter, and I guess taking this fight seriously. Yeah, and I mean, credit to him too. When when he's lost in the past, it's been like first round knockout losses. So the danger of for him of getting caught cold, getting wilds. You can understand why he'd try to be reserved. No, I get it. I totally get yeah. it. That's what I'm saying. He took it, he took this fight yeah. real serious, but he 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 went a little too too conservative, in my opinion. Yeah. He, he lives really in the did. chaos. Like he thrives in the chaos and he's he takes some licks to to you know initiate that chaos, but he does well in it and that was his best chance of winning here, and he just didn't do it. Yeah. Rough fight for him. Good fight for Dan Ige, though. And now we got to get him in there in the cage with uh, Sadiq Yusuf, right? Fine with me. Yeah. They're ranked right next to each other. That fight just seems... I'm surprised they haven't fought yet. Exactly. That fight just has to happen. So... That'll be a banger. Absolutely. All right. Otherwise, middleweight bout, Mark andre Barrio, Eric Anders, and I really thought Anders could use that power he has. And the fact that he's throwing in combination now to, to take the fight to Barrio, but he got stung right out of the gate in this one, and... That was kind of enough of a disaster just right there because Barrio has become so busy and so high output at this point in his career that like him getting that first little jolt of momentum where it's like, oh, okay, I'm out in front of you now and you're, you got to try to catch up. That uh, You know, Anders got plenty of his own shots in all fight, but he didn't win a round. Mm-hmm. He came really close. He came a- really close. And I mean... Uh, he looked better in this loss than he has in some of his wins. Yeah. I'll be these, honest. Both these dudes have improved a ton, which is why I was really excited for this one, honestly. Like, it wasn't a pay-per-view kind of fight, but it was like, hey, you know, these are two dudes who've taken a lot of losses, but they've both learned how to fight from those losses. They've both improved every time. They've both upped their output. They've both become more technical getting there, and they haven't become less aggressive through being more technical, which is the big, the big danger that, you know, what uh, our good friend and my, my hateful co-host Connor Rebush (laughs) calls becoming capital T technical, which is where you're, you're like, Oh no, I'm going to fight smart. I'm going to fight good. And that means I'm not going to do anything aggressive or offensive or, you know, to do sort of the landware thing where it's like, or the Aldana thing. Yeah, or the Aldana thing. It's like, oh, no, 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 I've got to be smart, and I've got to be crafty, and I've got to not fight. And it's just like, okay, no, no, that's you've taken the wrong lesson here entirely. And It's it's, it's the Andre Arlovsky career. Yeah, yeah. And Barrio and Anders, that's not what they've been doing. They've both just been getting better. And Barrio, like, he has crafted himself for a dude who was barely clinging on to a UFC contract for quite a while. He He's turned himself into a mainstay middleweight, you know? Yeah, this was not an easy fight. 
And no. for him to stay within himself, stay composed, even when things are getting a little hairy, because mm-hmm. the pressure for Anders was in, immense. Yeah. I mean, he used to he used to be this guy that just had this powerful left hand who would just sit at range looking for that. And yep. now he's someone who wants to mix it up and make things ugly on the inside, throwing elbows, yeah. throwing knees. I mean, he, gets, he, really... he steps in and he throws in combination and a dude that that powerful as he is and like that strong as he is, that's dangerous, you know? Yeah. Solid fight. Yeah. Solid. It's a good time. Fun fight. Uh, middleweight bout. Nasuddin Imabov, Chris Curtis. No contest. Accidental clash of heads. I got to say, the obvious take here is, oh, the UFC should run it back. We should do it again. We didn't get to see the fight, really. I kind of feel like I got to see the fight, and I wasn't really enjoying it that much. This is Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad. Yeah. I, I saw enough to know the tale of the tape there. Like, yeah. Like... it. it, it <laughs> was just too big for Curtis. He was just too big. He could be outside and sit down on a one-two, and Curtis couldn't reach him that easily to get back at him. And he could get in and tie up with him and take him down, and Curtis couldn't shuck him off. It's just, It's just too big and too strong. And yeah. I, I don't really, you know, like book Imavov against. Uh, oh, who did I have in here? Book Imavov against Kelvin Gastelum. Get that Kelvin Gastelum fight that they tried to book several times going. And book Chris Curtis against, I don't know, like uh, the uh, who's the big Georgian guy? Delidzi or something. Uh, oh, yeah, that's fun. That's a ton of fun. Yeah. Or Derek so. Brunson. You know, I'm always down for that. Yeah. Yeah, there are other fights for these people to take. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Jasmine Jasudovicius, Miranda Maverick, and... This one hurt my heart, man. Yeah, because Maverick's party. She's part of your squad, right? I like. I like Miranda. Yeah, Team, team Miranda. It's it's been a building pro. It's clear that like the camp change and all that kind of threw her into a relearning things, figuring my game out, getting you know, figuring other other tools out. But that that process has turned out to be a bit of a rough one, you know. <laughs> Yeah, this this fight, man. She started out really well. You yeah, know? she was looking really, really good, but Jasmine just turned it on. Mm-hmm. You know, she she really got her MMA on here, and she was comfortable fighting on the feet. She was comfortable wrestling, winning the grappling exchanges, uh, which shocked me. I'm gonna be honest with yeah. you. I thought Miranda was gonna be able to hang a lot better on the ground than what she did. She's she's always struggled when put on her back in fights. She's lost some fights with that in the past. You know, certainly I know Blanchfield's kind of a cut above at this point, but Blanchfield just kind of ran her over with wrestling in there. About and Jasuda Vicious, she's actually you know she's a really good top control grappler when she can get there. That was my big danger going. I was picking Maverick just like you. My big concern going in there was that Jasudovicius fights much more like she knows exactly what she wants to do out there. She knows not the fastest, 
not the hardest hitting, not the most dynamic. I need to go out there. I need to pressure. I need to brawl. I need to clinch. And I need to hit takedowns. And Maverick has been out there kind of floating around. And, you know, she's trying to figure out, okay, like, I want to strike like this, or I want to, do I want to be elusive and defensive? Do I want to be a, you know, do I want to punch with power, be a bully? What do I, what am I trying to do? I'm not sure. She's just kind of in that middle distance of trying to figure her fight out. And while she was doing that, Jesuda Vicious was just marching her down and beating her. And I thought she could, I thought that she could overcome that just with the natural athleticism and talent that she clearly has, but the confidence isn't there. And without the confidence, I don't know if it's confidence as much as direction. Yeah. You know, like she's, like you said, she's trying, she's changing camps, trying to go from someone who she's doing Muay Thai or she's doing wrestling or she's doing jujitsu to someone who's doing MMA right? Actually blending everything and coming up with an overall game. And there's going to be growing pains. Yeah. That's just, that's just the way it is. And this was, this was a hard loss because this was a winnable fight. Yeah. She was so dominant in that first round and like people, the commentators were Dick riding again in the third round, like, Oh, Maverick needs a finish. No, she just needs to, she dominated that first round. Yeah. Jazz Davishia did nothing the first round, not a thing. And so, yep. yeah, she just she kind of fell apart because yeah. I, I just don't – like you were saying, she doesn't really have – I'm not saying she doesn't have a game plan, but she just doesn't have a base style. Yeah, she, she doesn't know back. exactly what she's trying to put on somebody. You know, it's that thing where, like I said, Jasuda Vicious, she knows, like, the striking pushes the pressure, pushes the, gra- pushes the clinch, pushes the takedown, pushes the top game. And Maverick, it's sort of like, oh, my striking is out here, and I'm just going to try to feel this out and see what comes up and see what's open for me. And it's not the the assertiveness isn't there to be like, you know, because even if you want to have that kind of floaty striking style, there has to be a building like, you know, you got to look at Max Holloway and be like, oh, okay, well. I got to layer my start with my jab and my kicks and I got to layer them and I got to build combos off that. Not just sitting out here being like, Oh, I'm going to feel things out. It's no, I'm going to, I have a structure of the fight that I'm going to turn into a striking style that you have to deal with all the time. Yeah. So growing pains, growing pains are real, man. Uh, all right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. I'm on the hobby. Ari Chilang and man, like the hobby suddenly on a three fight win streak here. If he fought more than once per year and wasn't 35, I'd be thinking like, you know, time for him to, to, to make a run at something. But <laughs> at this point he just needs to take like a big step up, you know, fight, yeah, I think that... fight like Douglas De Silva or something, you know, well, you know, he graduated from the Gunnar Nelson School of Frequency, right? Yeah, the, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Give him a step up. Yeah, or not. If I was him, I'd probably only fight in Canada and only fight guys I could be. Yeah, just fight once a year. Fight the bottom of the roster all the time. Get that paycheck. Go back to the gym. Do your coaching thing. Get that. Get that GSP money. 
And, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, it's just, you know, he, he this was a great, this was great for to see from him because that Tercios fight he won was actually abominable, was abysmal, <laughs> a terrible fight. Sure, sure. And so it was good to see him go out there and just be aggressive, be on the front foot and be like, no, I'm just going to outpunch this dude. I'm not going to sit here and watch him stomp his feet and go, ha, and just like <laughs> circle him for three rounds. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is Zahabi, he's, he's super tech, right? But he's not athletic at all. No. So no. for him to step on the gas the way he did in the most unathletic, like the goofiest knockout you'll ever see, like you will not see a goofier one minute and four second knockout. You can yeah, play. it's true. But he got it done. You know, yeah. he he threw it. He believed in himself, and I think uh, you know, belief goes a long way. It. it I mean, we're talking. That's what we're talking about with the Maverick Jasudovicius thing. You know, he. The hobby came out there and he's like, oh, no, 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 this is the fight I'm going to have. And you assert it. You step on the gas. You go for your fight. And yeah, look at the structure he's got around him. Yeah. Holy shit. I don't know if there's more structure. Maybe, <laughs> no kidding. You know, the, the Nurmagomedovs, maybe. That's probably a little more strict, but. Yeah, uh, no, it's true. Uh, all right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Kyle Nelson, Blake Builder, continuing the theme of an all-Canada, well, starting the all-Canada night, really, because he was the first Canadian on the card. Although I think, was it uh, Belbita who also had moved to Canada Right, recently? yep. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. Kyle Nelson, uh, yeah, he kind of derailed Blake Builder here. I don't know. This was probably just this was a felt very much like a prospect loss for Builder, where he's been so used to feeling himself and so used to having big advantages that he can always lean on. And Kyle Nelson loses a lot of fights, so it's he's an easy dude to overlook. But he's actually really strong and really physical he's and dog. really capable. He's, he's just dog. The problem is usually that he just kind of melts down if he gets pushed too far. And Builder's out there like, oh, I'll just have a range, slow-paced striking battle with you. And it's like, okay, well, Kyle Nelson can do that for 15 minutes. Well, it it, wor- it was working at first because he was yeah. pressuring, right? Because yeah. like you said, he was feeling himself like at mm-hmm. first until he yeah. got rocked in the first round. And then he had that look like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Like that hurt. Like I'm dazed. Yeah. And from there, the pressure waned. And when he was coming forward, that's when Nelson was was you know squirmish yeah. and and looked uneasy, looked uncomfortable. But the second he got uh, Builder got rocked and let off that pressure, Nelson felt more comfortable, started setting things up, started attacking the legs, and you know, Builder just couldn't couldn't climb out of the hole he he let himself get into. I'm very honestly, I'm happy for Nelson. Everything I've seen from this dude, he seems like a nice guy. He has had a hell of a rough run in the UFC. I'm shocked, honestly, that they they kept him on for so long. You know, this is a dude who jumped into the UFC with two straight losses, stoppage losses, to Matt Sales and Carlos Diego Fajera. Won a fight, a quick fight over Polo Reyes, and then had two more losses, another stoppage 
And then a decision to Jai Herbert, probably the only person who's ever lost to Jai Herbert by decision. <laughs> and uh, that I, you know, I would have thought that would be the end. Then he get, comes and gets that draw against Duho Choi, and it's like, okay, yeah, you kind of got that, I guess. Uh, and so I'm really happy to see him actually come out here and get take on a prospect who honestly has some good momentum behind him, look like a pretty good prospect in Blake Builder, and just go out there and be like, remind people that, you know, he's been doing this forever, and he's got a well-trained style. He's not he's not a bad fighter. He's just usually, his his own tenseness gets to him, and it causes him to crumble. crumble. And Builder didn't, as you say, after Builder got caught, he didn't do anything to make Nelson tense again. And you know, it's it's the rough builder in that it was a very similar situation to the Miranda Maverick fight for Blake Builder, where it's just like you got to have more dedication and direction in your fight than this. You can't if you're this great grappler and great wrestler and you're trying to lean on your striking because, you know, you're fast and, you know, you've got some power like nothing's flowing into anything. You got caught out and now you're stuck. You know, well, it, it's like the once bitten, twice shy. Yeah, he tasted that power, and he was like, "I don't, I don't want to get close enough to get hit again." So I'm not yeah. gonna push the pace because that fucking hurt. Yeah, and it, great. He's got it, but you gotta, you can't just. You have to have contingency plans. Yeah, right? like exactly. Plan A, come forward, bring the pressure. Okay, that's not working right now. What do you do? Just standing at range, getting picked apart, is not the answer. No. So I still think, you know, there there are good things out there potentially for Blake Builder, but if nothing else, he's got to get a striking coach he can listen to. Because they were, like, screaming at him while he's, like, shimmying around and, like, trying to to mime the confidence that he, he should have. And, you know, like, you got you got to get somebody that you, that you believe when they tell you to go for it, you know? Or maybe it's an internal thing. He's yeah. like, I'm not fucking going for it. You just well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not he, doing it. But that's he, not that might not be a coach thing. That might be like in him. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, it, maybe you can scare him off. It's definitely in him, no matter what. You just gotta find the coach that'll break you, you know. You gotta oh, get wait, Henry Hooked. Exactly. That's what yeah, I was about he, to say. You gotta get Henry Hooked out there to be his disappointed father figure in the corner. <laughs> oh yeah. Or uh Maybe uh, Devin Clark's dad's. Event. Yeah, Devin Clark's dad. Yeah, there we go. Just for cornering. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't even All have right. to corner. He can just sit front row. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Stephen er- Stephen Erseg, David Dvorak, and uh, honestly, really strong performance from Erseg. A lot stronger than I would have guessed watching his fights coming in, where I was kind of like, okay, you've got a fun grappling game. You can scramble. I like it. It's flyweight level scrambling. And but I'm not seeing much of any kind of striking game here to to believe in. And he came out and A, it's a good reminder, he's huge. He's like five foot nine for a flyweight. But he was also really confident and comfortable getting picked at by Dvorak and just being like, you know what? It's fine if you hit me 20 times and I only hit you 10 because those 10 are going to hurt a lot more. And 
if you're going to be big and you're not going to be a great natural striker, that's the right attitude to have, you know, be the bully. I was impressed with that composure also. Yeah. He looked like he'd been there. He looks like he's had mm-hmm. 20, 30 fights, just that confidence. And, and it was insane. And that leg battle they had early on, yeah. that was nuts. They were just lighting up each other's legs, just crafty, crafty, uh, just exchanges. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah, um, it was. This was this was an overproduction. I mean, you're coming in, you're an unknown, taking on someone ranked, and you 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 fucking kicked him in the head in one of the crazy, like one of the coolest moments of the night. Yeah, Dvorak was doing something. I don't. Maybe he was swinging too, but it, it landed perfectly. Like yeah, he's trying to do something. Yeah, Dvorak was stepping in on a hook, I think, and. I mean, Ersig, he, Dorak was stepping in enough that Ersig slipped as he threw the kick, but it still came up over the shoulder and just clipped Dvorak. It's beautiful. You know, and you could see it doing this. Like, Dvorak's good. If it wasn't for the power, honestly, Dvorak very well could have won this fight. You know, he, he was doing a lot more of the good work moment to moment, minute to minute. He was not getting out scrambled by Ersig early on. He was, you know, he was landing his shots. He was making everything work, but Ersig's got power. And, you know, right now he looks a lot like uh, Askar Askarov, you know, where it's just like, oh, yeah, you're you're big and you can hit pretty hard and you're willing to hang in there with people and make things tough on them and get them into some grappling battles and some fun fights. So I'll be interested to see what he can do with that. Yeah, he's yeah. he seems like a lot of fun and durable and huge. Yeah, and, you know anyone that's going to chew up the calf, I'm here for. Yeah, just match him up with anybody in the in the bottom half of the top ten, uh, top fifteen. It doesn't even you know they're talking like oh you should get a quick step up and all that. Just another top. You can match him up with Tim Elliott right now. You know I'd watch that. You could match him up with uh, Bruno Bruno Silva. I just just some other ranked flyweight get him in there and uh make it happen you know well matt schnell was supposed to fight dvorak wasn't he yeah that's how this guy maybe just book him against schnell sure yeah uh ersig though great great showing from him all right and finally that brings us to our opening bout of the night diana belbita maria Oliveira, and uh Man, Maria Oliveira really should not have taken that time out of camp to go be on a reality TV show. You don't think so? She did not look ready for this fight. Well, I don't, I don't know if she was going to win it anyway, so I'm glad she got the money for doing the reality show. <laughs> I doubt they paid her very much at all. I mean, maybe she got the exposure, that reality TV stuff. It, if you don't win... They 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 don't send you home with much. Yeah, but maybe uh, who knows? Yeah, uh, fair enough. But man, remember last week we had someone um, Silva drop back for that the the ankle lock, and she exploded the knee, and it was just brilliant, yeah. and it was perfect and gorgeous, and we were praising how awesome that was. And then Oliveira here has top position, gets a takedown. And then for no fucking reason, drops back for the worst ankle lock I've ever seen. 
So 100% a this, when keeping it real goes wrong moment. This is like, she didn't even, this wasn't even like a uh, straight ankle lock. This was like no. a, um, like a contingency plan for a straight ankle. So when like the straight ankle doesn't work, you switch to the rear naked choke grip on the ankle. And sometimes maybe that'll work. Cause it's only a pain thing. You're not really, you're not breaking anything. Usually you're not going to break something. I, Oliver ain't breaking shit with me. <laughs> so uh, that was just a silly, silly move. I can, I'm shocked that, that anybody ever tried that asinine (laughs) but then she also just was gassed pretty much immediately after that yeah man her defense was scaring the shit out of me dude she would just lean back i mean she just leaned back not even she she had the speed advantage over belbita that she didn't have like she didn't have to lose this fight you can see like late in the third round she's gassed She's been fighting terrible all this time. She goes out and she hits like three flying knees just for the hell of it. And it's like, okay, clearly you could win this fight if you'd actually trained for it, but it does not look like you trained for it at all. I don't think she's experienced enough. Like I like I, like I'm saying, I don't think one training camp is is what did it in. I think she's just not Well, Maria Oliveira's been she's been fighting for a while. Well, she doesn't fight like it. No, she. I mean, I don't think she takes it very seriously, you know. Yeah, no, that's. I don't think a training camp is going to make a difference. I don't expect yeah. to see vast improvements from her. I think, um, you know. Yeah. This was going to happen no matter what. I don't know. I think the natural athleticism is there for her to be a better fighter. She, you know, like, she's beat people that Diana Belbita couldn't beat, but the the lack of focus on on MMA is clearly just it doesn't seem like you know doesn't seem like she's, she's got it she still hasn't beat anybody no she hasn't beat anybody good but Diana Belbita hasn't beat anybody good I, this is the best win of Diana Belbita's career yeah just and that's another thing like so she's been at this for 8 years right talking about Oliveira yeah. it's like it, it it's not she fights like someone who's been doing this for three years. Yeah. Super regional feel. And I don't, I don't have high hopes. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. I don't, I don't, I think if the problems have not getting, been corrected yet, they're not about to be corrected. Anyway, we're spending way too much time talking about prelims. Go back to the main event. Amanda Nunes, Irene Aldana, that fight is in the books. Nunes is retired. We probably we we've got a triumvirate of challengers that nobody really cares about right now in Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, and Juliana Pena, and maybe Shevchenko, and maybe Shevchenko. Shevchenko would be foolish not to see herself in among that group. Um, and yeah, like you said, if the UFC if the UFC had the guts, this would be the time to run a tournament. But uh, they're not going to do that. They're going to book somebody for a vacant title, probably for a late me, maybe for the MSG card, maybe for the no, that end of the year October uh, December card as a co-main event. I'm sure. 
to yeah. a bigger or they'll, fight. they'll do they'll do something where the co-main event is an absolute banger people's main event and then they'll stick it at yeah you know, I mean, they're banking they're banking on having that john jones title fight for later this year if they can convince deep Miocic to fight again and they're banking on having like i said i think they're banking on having mcgregor versus uh chandler chandler for december and both those fights, th- those fight cards, you know, you throw another title fight under that, then you basically guarantee a bunch of eyes for a fight that people wouldn't otherwise care about. Man, it's unfortunate that the UFC is, uh, it's Transformers, right? It's Fast yeah. and the Furious 9. It's the same shit over and over. And they're not going to fuck with the format to make it more fun, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, it's, it, they figured out what makes them a ton of money, and they're sticking to it. Anyway, all told, eh, I mean, you can't, you can't, the Oliver Darius was awesome. Mike Malott put on a show. Ige Landwehr was, was decent. Barrio Anders was quite good. It doesn't all make a pay-per-view, though. Like, you didn't have, it had a terrible main event. And everything else on there. Outside, even including the Oliveira Darius fight, like you take the main event off this pay per view, and it's a it's a fine fight night. It's a normal fight night card, right? You know, yeah. It's so. uh, Canada's got to be pissed. You know, they're on uh, fire. They, they, the it, UFC it, comes with this bullshit, and they, the they threw them. No, nah, they threw them a pizza party. They came to Canada and threw a fucking pizza party, and they're like, "Okay, all your all your guys are gonna win." You know, you'll see Nunez retire, eat your fucking pizza. It's an exchange rate, though. In Canada, this is a very good card. Like, you know. Exchange rate. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a buck fifty in the US, but in Canada it's like five bucks. So Yeah, that's fine. We'll see All what right. this we'll we'll see what your stars are in our bonus content. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.